Your podcast starts after this quick message from Clear. The average person breathes over 23,000 times a day. That's 23,000 opportunities for allergens and germs to get in your nose and body and wreak havoc. That is, unless you regularly clean your nose and sinuses. So for healthy breathing and a strong body, use Clear Nasal Spray. Clear is a natural nasal spray featuring xylitol, an ingredient clinically proven to work against bacteria and effectively clean, not just rinse, your nose. Clear Nasal Spray quickly alleviates congestion, opens your airway, and ensures your body's natural defenses are strong. In fact, in a recent study, researchers found that xylitol nasal sprays like Clear are just as effective as leading medicated nasal sprays. For better breathing, get Clear today. That's spelled X-L-E-A-R. You can find it at all major retailers, CVS, Rite Aid, Walgreens, Sprouts, Whole Foods, and everywhere else. The Dr. Taz Show. The podcast, Dr. Taz. Superwoman Wellness. Here's Dr. Taz. Welcome back to Superwoman Wellness. On every episode of this show, we are going to uncover the secrets to being superpowered and being the superwoman you are meant to be. Joining me today is Allie Miller. Allie is an integrative functional medical medicine practitioner with a background in naturopathic medicine. She is also a registered and licensed dietitian, a certified diabetes educator with a contagious passion for food as medicine. I'm right there with her, developing clinical protocols and virtual programs using nutrients and food as the foundation of treatment. Allie's message has influenced millions through media with television segments, features in O Women's Health, Prevention Magazine, and her award-winning podcast, Naturally Nourished. Welcome to the show, Allie. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. We're thrilled to have you. And you just had a book come out, correct? Uh, Just in September, The Anti-Anxiety Diet. Tell us about that. Yes. So in my 10 years of practice as a functional practitioner, you know, we're always seeking the root cause or the why of symptoms that are undesired or the onset of a disease diagnosis. And as I've looked at trends, even if we're looking at things like inflammation or hormone imbalance or micronutrient deficiency, I've really found that if stress isn't managed, and if the individual is dealing with chronic fight or flight response, or some would call it anxiety, that that can serve as the Achilles heel and really create dysfunction throughout the system. Wow. So I don't know a woman in America who's not stressed. Does that mean we're all vulnerable (laughs) to this? Um, And talk to us a little bit about this, I guess. Talk to us about why you've chose to focus on anxiety to begin with. And then what, what is that root cause? What are you finding? Like, what's the right approach? I mean, again, I think there was a a statistic out just recently. I was looking at anxiety is the number one mental health illness in America, and it's about 40 to 50% female dominant. So this is, this is a big problem for women today. So talk, talk us through this a little bit. Yeah. And, you know, those are the women that are actually waving up that white flag and and asking for help. And I think there's so many of us that just roll with the punches and accept things like, you know, feeling fatigued and worn out and burned out and that as quote unquote normal. So I think a lot of us deal with it, whether we want to deem it, like I said, imbalanced stress response or chronic stress demand or anxiety. I think that physiologically, we see a lot of similar symptoms of imbalance. So the influences of stress can be very dynamic. I mean, we can actually see 
the presence of leaky gut, this concept of our gut integrity being damaged based on stress alone. We see a marker called secretory IgA, which is a marker of mm -hmm. our mucosal membrane lining, or basically the tissue that lines our uh, gut. And we see that value acutely respond elevated to defend the body in stress. And then over time, it chronically degrades. And that creates susceptibility to onset of food sensitivities, bloating, distension, GI distress. We also see an influence on our microbiome. We actually yep. sterilize our good gut bugs in a time of chronic stress. So and that this can is create all, then more this, susceptibility. This is all from stress, yeah. Allie, right? You're saying stress is the yeah. root of this. Wow. Yeah. Wow. What are we going to do? <laughs> what are we going to do? My book takes six entry points, and it's really interesting. I, I, I isolate these six different entry points. I tried to put it together in one order, but every reader will find that they're going to resonate deeper with one entry point over another. So I identify uh, focusing on removing inflammation, and then okay. I take the reader on to resetting the microbiome, then repairing the gut lining. And that's where I talk about what I was just mentioning with secretory IgA and LPS and different markers that perpetuate leaky gut. Then mm -hmm. we talk about restoring micronutrient status. So we go into mood stabilizing minerals, the role of B vitamins and protein as a neurotransmitter building blocks. And then the chapters end sequentially with rebounding the adrenals, the primary stress responding glands. And then finally with rebalancing our neurotransmitters. Wow. So each chapter has a different chicken and egg, and you'll see how stress can drive dysfunction in that concept, but also how when resolved, that can have beneficial mood stabilizing influence in the brain and body. That's fascinating. I think you and I have a very similar approach to anxiety. Even when I'm dealing with anxiety with patients, I always tell them, you know, it's, it's so cliche to say, well, let's try meditation or let's try something to calm your mind. A lot of times uh -huh. when, when the chemistry is already disrupted, then it's very hard to gain control of what's happening with your mind. So really thinking through, Hey, I've got to start from a foundation and work on up to the mind is probably a much better approach. And I love this where it's just kind of broken down into very distinct steps. And I want to dive into those steps a little bit in just a second. But I do want to spend a lot of, a little bit of time talking, you know, to the everybody out there listening today about the HPA access and the impact of stress yeah. on the HPA access. I think women come into the practice all the time and I'm sure you see this as well, you know, wanting hormone balancing, wanting different, you know, sleep aids, you know, looking for that magic bullet, so to speak, of what's going to help them. Explain for the audience today, like what is that relationship between chronic stress? You've already painted it so beautifully beautifully between the gut and the microbiome and nutrients and everything else. What is that relationship between stress and the HPA axis? So the HPA axis stands for hypothalamic pituitary adrenal. And this is what we think of as our fight or flight sympathetic nervous system. And I like to explain it as reactive mode. <laughs> and so right. when the body is in reactive fight or flight mode, a lot of the regulatory functions, which we kind of simplify in basic science as rest and digest, that parasympathetic state is really our regulatory function. So you mentioned sexual hormone, you know, sexual hormone is going to be balanced with our parasympathetic. Our thyroid gland is optimized when we have parasympathetic balance. 
And then yes, digestive function, sleep function, and so much more. And so if the body is running on reactive mode, the hypothalamus and pituitary, those two glands in the brain, they prioritize stimulation of the adrenal glands, which sit above our kidneys. And those are kind of the superstar of the stress story, if you will. I think they're the most discussed. Cortisol gets a really bad rap and it it can be nasty. It can can be a hormone that can drive fat. And yes, it can interfere with testosterone and it can cause muscle wasting. But when cortisol is too little, we're susceptible to chronic inflammation and excessive histamines and seasonal allergies um, and chronic fatigue syndrome. So just like anything, there's a check and a balance and a sweet spot. But when the body gets off kilter in chronic reactive mode and you're not getting that feedback that the cortisol is being released, Mm -hmm. then we can really see dysfunction on those regulatory uh, balancers. So we can get loss of cycle. There's something called hypothalamic amenorrhea where we lose Mm -hmm. our period. We can deal with PCOS because the adrenals shunt out excessive DHEA and other stress responding compounds. And that can drive us more androgenic or more male hormone patterns. We can see imbalance in sexual performance with HGH going down and oxytocin as a bliss reward coming from the pituitary. And then the thyroid, which has a lot of, like I mentioned, metabolic influence of weight gain. And um, then there's a ton of connections of GI as well. Gotcha. So all of those are impacted. And then once the adrenals are impacted, then aren't, like all our other hormones impacted too, estrogen, progesterone, you mentioned the androgens, thyroid, all of that gets impacted as well, correct? Absolutely. And and like I said, it takes a second place to that prioritization of reactive because the body really perceives, you know, okay, Allie might be running from a tiger or she might be dealing with a temper tantrum from her toddler. (laughs) And so either way, I'm going to defend her body from more drama and I'm going to shunt energy to reactive. Um, And so if we as individuals don't swing that pendulum in balance and get that regulatory function, we're kind of going to be running off kilter. And so that's where we get a lot of the symptoms from, like I said, low libido to poor circulation to racing thoughts, infertility, temperature changes, insomnia, and so much more. Wow. Low libido is one that I'm seeing more and more in practice. What do you attribute low libido to? So many times women are just on a hunt in their lab work for their testosterone level and, and hoping that that'll be the answer. What do you think the answer is for low libido? I find that when the pituitary is so focused on adrenal stimulation, we don't get enough oxytocin, which is a really important hormone, you know, beyond breastfeeding story, oxytocin plays a big role with human connection and women Mm -hmm. thrive on oxytocin. That's also released during orgasm, you know, Mm -hmm. and we thrive on that to be able to have connection, which generally is going to pair with libido. We Mm -hmm. also see progesterone tending to come down. I think we're very kind of mono-focused on the fear of estrogen dominance, but many people are only estrogen dominant in light of low progesterone. It's a relative dominance. So they don't need to, you know, use dim or these strong methylators to reduce their estrogen per se. They may need to bring up their progesterone expression to the playing field to create that synergy and that balance. And I find that as progesterone goes down, that libido tends to go down as well. Interesting. So for all you women out there who are 
calling in and letting me know that your libido is disappearing. It's not just about (laughs) testosterone. It's about this entire axis and how stress affects it. And so many times I try to take the time and practice or when I'm speaking to, to connect those dots, but hopefully this is helping. So whether it's a hormone imbalance, whether it's a gut imbalance, is this six R approach really the way to tackle anxiety, to tackle stress? Is this really the best way to go about it? Well, I mean, I think so. I wrote the book. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. of course. <laughs> so, you know, what I, what, I do, what I do is in each chapter, I empower the reader with a little bit of an assessment because it, that's another thing. I think if we're to get into this regulatory state, we have to reconnect with our body's feedback. You know, there's, there's right. not going to be, unfortunately, like you said, with, with anxiety, those types of, you know, tightly wound, generally speaking, type A individuals they want the plan, <laughs> you know, right. it's like, let's do totally. it rock and roll, lock and load mode. And it's, it's not that easy in the sense that we have to find a way to listen to the biofeedback of our body. We have to identify these, these signals and symptoms where we're seeing imbalance within our system and really hone in on that component. So I have a chapter at the end of, uh, excuse me, a quiz at the end of each chapter, which helps people identify, you know, if you're dealing with, for instance, bloating and distension and dermatological distress, and you've been on an antibiotic uh, or an antifungal in the recent history, and you're having uh, irregular bowel, that's going to hone in a lot more on the microbiome maybe Mm -hmm. than someone would if they're dealing with uh, protein wasting, uh, muscle loss, chronic fatigue, they aren't eating their five to seven cups of vegetables a day and getting in their protein, they're going to probably need the micro, or they just had a child and they had to you know, create and grow another human being, they're probably going to need more of that micronutrient replenishment. And then right. someone that just dealt with evacuation from goodness, I was writing this as Harvey was going on in Houston, mm. you know, those people are probably dealing with the cortisol adrenal piece. So it's, it's all kind of, all of us would have a chapter that would sing louder. And that's where we need to hone in on probably supplement strategy and advanced functional labs. But mm-hmm. I feel that the entire book will be important for us to apply and layer all of the components. But harnessing in on tight focus is going to speak to different individuals based on their story. Yeah, I think that's so true. I mean, I think ultimately it has to be personalized, but everybody needs a starting point. Everybody needs a roadmap as kind of where to begin. Uh, Why are some of the current treatments for anxiety not working for women today? So one thing that I do, like I said, I end my last R on rebalancing neurotransmitters. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, when we have usually a very short visit with our general practitioner in which we might discuss depression or anxiety, and so commonly we're going to be using a medication as an intervention before lifestyle therapy. And as you mentioned, lifestyle therapy can be uh, unattractive because it's another thing to quote unquote do. And sometimes we want a solution, but I find that it's not a foundational or a functional solution. It's a downstream tool. Mm -hmm. And often it takes many different cocktails, whether it's an SSRNI or an SSRI or varied different medications that work on a receptor level. These work on the feedback of the neurotransmitters and how they communicate Mm -hmm. without often testing if that neurotransmitter is even of concern or even doing an assessment to, to rule out, for instance, GABA versus serotonin. So, you know, Mm -hmm. both GABA and serotonin are neuroinhibitory or like landing gear for our stress response. So both of these can help with anxiety. 
But if someone is dealing with sleep disturbances and someone is dealing with like aches and overall lassitude, uh, then we're probably going to see more serotonin. We think of like fibromyalgia. We think of the fact that melatonin is made from serotonin. So those would be some assessment markers maybe of serotonin. If the individual is dealing with impulse control and like a white knuckle effect, or I call it sometimes incredible Hulk mode, like an irritability short fuse, if they're dealing with tightness in the chest, shortness of breath, that's often more of a GABA thing, you know, and that's like a performance anxiety, um, impulse control. And so we can use assessment markers as a first entry point versus starting with a drug. And then we might even want to do metabolite assessments of neurotransmitters and nutrients and, and maybe even genetic markers that would give us predispositions. You know, if someone's dealing with methylation concerns like MTHFR, mm-hmm. Or if someone is dealing with COMT, which would drive them towards both estrogen dominance and an excessive buildup of their catecholamines or their stress-responding chemicals. So I just feel that we don't take the time to do a thorough assessment and we start downstream versus upstream when we really could look at the whys and address from the root cause. I could not agree more. And I want to ask you one more question um, here before we run out of time. There's so much talk today about the ketogenic diet and high fat diet and how that's helping with weight loss and brain fog and so much more. How does that play into managing anxiety and into this overall approach that you have when it comes to anxiety and stress in women? Yes. So I use the ketogenic diet and I I present it at chapter one, where I'm talking about removing inflammation because I identify Mm -hmm. corn, gluten, soy, sugar, and I identify sugar connected with uh, being pro-inflammatory. We do see a trend in research with elevated blood sugar levels and that hemoglobin A1C trending with anxiety and depression. And the benefit of ketones beyond getting regulated blood sugar and more regulated energy and mood, you know, we're not on the mountain peak and the crash of hypoglycemia chronically, which can drive a roller coaster of emotions in itself. There is benefit of ketones. They actually can cross the blood brain barrier. And some of the mechanisms in which they're so promising for epilepsy do have influential properties on our neurotransmitters. So ketones, when they cross the blood-brain barrier, actually can upregulate that GABA expression. And I just mentioned GABA as being one of the primary drivers of that stress, distress, anxiousness. Uh, So it can be very grounding for us. And that's what helps truly to reduce also epinephrine, the adrenaline that can upregulate seizure activity. So on a smaller level than actually convulsions, we can see these ketones docking and crossing the blood-brain barrier and favorably relaxing the brain and that central nervous system, giving biofeedback to the body to Mm -hmm. feel more grounded. And I also see it working as a high octane fuel for cognitive function. So when we feel sharper, cognitively speaking, we also tend to experience a more mellow, balanced and grounded mindset. Got it. I love it. Well, if anyone in my audience wants to learn a little bit more about you or your book, how can they get their hands on it? What's the best place to go? Where? What's the great re- best resource? Yeah, we try to keep it super simple. Everything's at Allie Miller RD. So it's A-L-I-M-I-L-L-E-R-R-D on Instagram and Facebook. And the website is AllieMillerRD.com. And I have a tab called Books and Programs. And I have a Food as Medicine Ketosis program in there if you're looking to learn more about that. 
as well as, so it's not just eating bacon and cheese, I promise. Right. <laughs> and then um, my book is in there as well as uh, things like gut cleanses and detoxes and all, all sorts of resources. Perfect. Well, Allie, thank you for taking time out today to join us and talk about this major mental health crisis in America. Definitely female predominant. If you're suffering from anxiety, please get the book. Learn about healing yourself from the inside out rather than sort of just treating one isolated symptom. And thank you all for listening to me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Superwoman Wellness. If you have questions about today's show, feel free to connect with me on Instagram or Facebook at Dr. TazMD. And if you enjoyed the show, please rate and review and share it with your friends. Until next time.